Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Rohit, the SVP of engineering at BFA Industries, and we discuss how BFA's personalization technology is enabling them to make beauty products for everyone. Rohit's strategy for hiring candidates that have an appetite for change and the importance of always assuming positive intent in the interactions with your peers. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, buddy. Hey, Joe. How are you doing? Oh, things are great. I'm excited. We're building this uh, new leadership program that we're launching in like the first cohorts going through in June. And nice. Just to be like, I love getting to talk to leaders, but to be developing content and like working with leaders to create these programs has been, uh, I don't know, it's just, I'm usually not this energized late in the afternoon, but I am today. <laughs> that's good to know. That's, that's awesome. Which part of the country are you based out of? Uh, so we're down in Florida. Yeah. What about you? I am in the Bay Area. We have an office in Miami. I haven't seen that yet. Our whole team, we did a dinner. We all got together uh, like a little bit ago and all the girls that work at the company were so pumped up about like Ipsy and make, they were so excited and they're like, we get the makeup bags and all that. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll ask this guy <laughs> about what's going on over there at Ipsy. What do you do, bud? So I, um, I manage engineering. I joined the company back in October of 2020. And just, just to kind of give you like a little bit of idea about what Ipsy is. Um, so Ipsy started out a few years ago about getting really into the beauty subscription space. The couple of goals that Ipsy focuses its energy on is really building a community um, of people centered around beauty. The second aspect is also really getting products and creating an environment for people to do for their self-expression. Those are kind of the two key fundamentals that drive Ipsy throughout its, all its business. And, uh, that's what we do. And I joined in October of last year as part of managing the engineering, the technology side of the house and providing technology for retail as well as subscriptions. But for me, the biggest fascination and the reason for joining UC is around the work that we are we do plus uh, the work that we are going to be doing around personalization. That's pretty exciting. Were you always interested in technology growing up or is this something just as an adult? Always fascinated. Uh, my first technology experience with, uh, like, really going back in time, was with a computer called Commodore 64. So that that's where the journey started. And throughout that, as I have discovered computers and the impact that the computing technology can have in different businesses, um, just kept on growing and growing. And then really changing, uh, choosing opportunities based on where my curiosity is uh, is more. So just trying to figure out things. It's very fascinating to see technology being applied not only to create new businesses, but also completely reinventing existing businesses. So that's how I've been in technology, I guess, forever. Yeah. yeah. Can you walk me through like your career progression? I'm interested to, to know more about that. Uh, absolutely. So when I was uh, just starting undergrad, I came across Commodore 64. It's started learning, teaching myself how to use it, and then started making games and playing with it. And it was a very fascinating experience for me. Um, I, for Before that, I was actually on my path to become a financial, uh, in the finance industry. And that was the other fascinating aspect. So as part of my experience with Tower 64, when my dad, who I credit with being a te technically ahead, saw my fascination and said, hey, you like this thing, what can it do for me? And so he and I got together and bought like the IBM uh, uh, PC when it came out. And I started building software for him. And that was pretty awesome. Built a lot of software for him, his clients, start selling products on financial systems. And then later on decided to start doing this uh, full-time. And so I went, after I finished my undergrad, I switched to master's, where a group of us decided to teach ourselves current technology. So we formed a company. We started taking offshore projects. That's a pretty awesome experience. And that's where I uh, met my wife. And then she's in the same space. And then we both decided that since we are both, uh, I can call myself geek. I think she may not appreciate it if I call her geek, but <laughs> we were very much into learning new technology, really understanding things. So we decided to come to the Valley. And throughout the Valley, things that have intrigued me, I have pursued those, right? I started doing risk management software for modeling catastrophe impact for insurance companies. That's how I came in. Uh, to the U.S. because that customer was a client of mine back in uh, Delhi. And then I went into the dot-com 
uh, phase. I don't know how many people remember the dot-com bust. Uh, everybody seems to remember the boom. And so from there, I went into video indexing, maybe the early cursors of um, product recommendations uh, with a company called Digital Jones. And then slowly and slowly, I ended up landing at WebEx, uh, which was what my large scale experience around meetings and recordings and all of those kinds of things that that are like the precursor to Zoom. And uh, from there, I ended up uh, again following, getting into the ad space, and then finally at Walmart, uh, the largest retailer, and learned a very different definition of scale. And then in all of these aspects, right from dot-com phase, personalization has been uh, something that's always fascinated me. Right in the dot-com, we were looking at selling uh, ads and product reviews to people. And then slowly from there, going through it, really doing it at scale at Walmart. And so when this opportunity came up, this was a pretty awesome, for me, it looked like a very awesome opportunity to really start focusing on the um, personalization aspect of it. That's kind of has been the, the journey. So really at every instinct, uh, basically following the instinct and following my curiosity. Yeah, there's a lot of great leaders that tend to come from Walmart that I've come across. Yeah, outside in, inside out, for two different experiences. Um, you don't, you see the scale, but you don't fathom the scale. When you are within the organization, you start thinking, thinking about hundreds of millions of billion dollars of impact, hundreds of millions of users, um, lots and lots of different kinds of scale uh, that, that come through it. So that, it's, a, it's a very interesting experience. So you're interested in personalization. What are you doing at your current role for personalization? So uh, in order to uh, give the context, let me uh, walk you through in terms of how we see these things, right? So I don't know, uh, when I joined this company, I, uh, beauty is not an environment or a domain that I'm very familiar with, like makeup and things like that. So when I was going through the job offer, I had my um, youngest daughter sit with me and she had heard about Ipsy and she was very excited about it. So we went through the whole process and I saw how the experience collects information about me as a person to be able to give me the products and match what I would like. And so that was my first signal in terms of personalization. So as you go through it, you'll see that we ask, collect all this information from our customers. Then our customers also give us a ton of reviews. So we have a lot of reviews of the products that we have. We take that data and then we have an amazing merchandising team. And what the what my team has done so far is taking those kinds of information and then start really creating products from a personalization aspect. So let's let's take personalization for a second, right? There are, for me personally, there are two aspects of it. We are very familiar with once somebody understands you or some system understands you, they start recommending things that you like. And so as you see, we have enough data points that, uh, that help us get there. The second aspect, which is also fascinating for me, and that's that's one of the things that gets excited, me more excited about, is the how you take that and how can I help you increasing your taste profile, right? Um, if you know if you if you know what you like, there's an aspect of personalization where I can introduce you to new products and and see how you will like the new products. Sometimes you don't even know these things. So those are a few things that we are working with on personalization. You seem to be pretty pretty into this topic. Have you ever written anything on this topic? Um, not really, and not good at writing. Uh, that's something uh, not good at writing like that. Uh, but I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I encourage my team to write. So if you start looking at, uh, we just launched a Medium blog, and you can see some of the work that where my team is doing over there. Oh, that's cool. What inspired that? If uh, especially in the Bay Area, as I went through the interview process, I spoke with my friends not many people were very familiar with the company uh, and not many familiar, uh, especially the technology behind it. And I thought that's something that we have to start showcasing because this is a lot of work the team is doing. It's pretty interesting. And we have very passionate engineers who are working on these. And so that's one of the things I started is let's start a medium blog. Let's start writing about what we are doing. And it also helps in attracting talent as well. I think a lot of people would like to do it. Can you give me some details on how you actually rolled this out on like a tactical level? Is it part of their like a weekly thing or they submit ideas? How do you actually execute this? Yeah, so we set an internal goal. We first did canvassing of the engineering teams to see how much of overhead would it add and how much of interest was there. Um, so we found, not surprisingly, that there was a lot of interest, but people thought of this as additional work 
And so we needed to account for that in their um, regular engineering planning exercises. So we did that. The, we set up a modest goal uh, for the entire organization, engineering organization. We have set two articles per month so far. And we want to kind of build that muscle and kind of get that flywheel going. And then, um, and then see where it goes. We are ready to publish another new one. And that's going to be very interesting. I'm not going to uh, reveal the surprise here yet. But it's not really about technology. And so uh, really encouraging people that's okay to talk about anything. Right? It's, it's more about showing and being transparent about what we are doing and showcasing the things that we do. Because it's not just about personalization, machine learning, technology, or, or the, and the cool things that we are doing. We also talk about other things as well. That's awesome. I, I've never had anybody explain how they actually roll out a blog, uh, blogging style culture. <laughs> so thank you for that. We'll see how it goes. It's definitely interesting. Yes. So you do like team, some people write up articles, they sort of take it upon themselves to, you know, they want to do this, right. There's some desire. So they, then they have like a peer review and then you publish the articles. Yes, yeah, so we have teams, individuals. Um, they reach out to a. I have a couple of people who's. Um, I would not. I, one of their job descriptions is to do exactly what you just said. So when the article comes out, we review it because it's an infancy. We're also reviewing with with our marketing and the legal departments. Um, so as we build that muscle and we start to that that stuff will start to die down. But yeah, people talk about it, and we make sure that they have the time for it. So if they sign up. We'll make sure that like in our sprint planning and allocation exercises, we give them the time to go work on it. Nice. Well, we'll post a link in the show notes so people can find it as well. Is it, If they type in on Medium, what are they going to search to find the blog? Is it BFA or Ipsy? Or... It's BFA. And um, that's uh, so BFA, just so that to be clear, the BFA is uh, our company. And as part of BFA, we have multiple brands that we offer to our customers. Ipsy is one of the brands. Back in December, we acquired another brand called BoxyChar. And in December itself, we launched a personal care brand called Refreshments. And then we have a complex culture. And then we also have uh, one of the brands uh, partnership with and uh, with uh, one of our, one of the social influencers, Addison Ray. The brand's called Light and Beauty. So we have a collection of brands under this company. That's pretty cool. That's that's interesting. I like that. Thanks. What does BFA mean? BFA stands uh, for Beauty for All, and that's 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 like I said earlier. That's one of our goals is to make sure that we create a community for people around beauty and as well as self-expression. So it, the name speaks to our goals and objectives as well. Are any of those brands like geared towards men or specifically towards men? Not right, not right now. Most of our business right now is all about makeup and personal care. Like the refreshments brand that's coming up, I am one of the subscribers. Um, so we have a sharing, uh, we have sharing uh, components that I can use and there's uh, body odor, deodorants and things around those areas. So I've started to use them as well. Yes, I have a vested interest in the company. So that, that's definitely the predominant reason. But again, there is no line that says that uh, this is targeted only at women or only at men. I would, I would subscribe to a box that was like, had stuff for men, like different types of things. Uh, I'm always looking for like interesting, different types, like deodorants and stuff like that. Yes. So give a shot, try out refreshments and see how it goes. All right. Maybe I will talk, talk to my wife about that. I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to get a refreshments box. You're going to get an Ipsy box and we're going to support our friends over here. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yes. So the, the technology, when you're integrating a new brand, how do you do that? How do you bring a new brand into the company? It's um, There are two aspects of um, new brand. So we actually went both aspects in December. One is acquisition of a new brand. So Boxy Charm was an acquisition. Refreshments is something uh, that we grew within the company and we launched in December. So a lot of work goes out. There's a lot of uh, our products are the products that customers use. So there's a lot of that kind of product development where there's there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of um, A-B testing and those kinds of work that goes through. And the second aspect, obviously, is to build in the experience to the side, the mobile experience so people can shop, find products that they need. So I would say a significant amount of customer research to figure out the products and how they're going to um, vibe with our customers. Um, the second aspect is then once you have that, then formulation of those products. Refreshments is something that uh, the products that we sell, the products we build. 
So there's a lot of aspect of creating those products, working with partners, making sure all the checkboxes are checked from a compliance and everything else perspective. The supply chain aspect, is, it's a pretty intensive and a fairly um, significant exercise. What's the most exciting thing for you about your job, what you do? There are a few, few things I would say. The biggest exciting thing is that these are the products my kids use. Um, so really understanding with them how they're using, like I said before, for me, the whole makeup domain was just one word makeup. And as now that I have a big part of the company, it's like an entire world in itself. And it's all the learning that I'm doing. And the, 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 the interesting piece for me is because my kids use them, I'm able to see the customer right there and then really see how they interact with the products. The second aspect for me is that our mission about self-expression, how technology can help make that. And that's where I go back to personalization. How can we build personalization that's much better, uh, that helps not only really getting you the products that your needs are or your wants are, we're also expanding your uh, band, uh, uh, expanding your taste profile in terms of products and things that you can use. To me, those are the two fascinating things uh, at this company. Yeah, no, you've got me interested in it. I'm, I was so in, so curious going into this interview. I was like, I wonder what he's gonna like be like, you know, working at a beauty company and building all of this technology. I've gotten to talk to like maybe one, I think one other CTO who was uh, at like a beauty type company as well. And they were doing some interesting stuff. Yeah. And so I, I was fascinated by the behind the scenes technology of what's actually happening at these beauty companies. I see. I, I For me, it's uh, like, if you look at my career growth and, uh, and how my career has progressed, it's always about going to a domain and learning. Like when I joined Adkimi, I had no idea about how marketing, advertising, SEM, SEO worked. And so I decided it's time for me to learn that. And so I joined that company. So it's like everything that you look at, it is a fascinating and very uh, intricate world behind simple words like beauty or advertising and things around those. So it's always fascinating to go in and start learning. Yeah, you sound very like entrepreneurial. Have you ever built your own businesses? Yes, uh, back when I came, when I was in college, uh, like the whole Commodore 64 phase, once I started applying for business, my dad and I actually, I should probably say he created a company because he had, he funded it, he bought me the computer. And so we ran that company for about three years, built the software, sold the software. That was my company number one. Then we decided to sell it because I wanted to go do a master's path. So I ended up doing a master's path where we started another company to learn, to grow. And then I finished my master's, three of us decided to run that company uh, for a while. Again, we ran it for about four years, uh, four or five years before my wife and I decided to move to the, to the, uh, to the valley. And so that's when I sold that company. Here, I um, haven't done that yet. There's always hope for the future. Do you find it more restrictive like being uh on a team versus like owning the business or do you just have a really great team and you have a lot of freedom i don't see uh especially at bfa i don't see this as restrictive at all there's a great team there's a lot of freedom to experiment things and then uh there's also a lot of people to learn from right our founder marcelo and all the business people that we have and the marketing people and especially like i said a lot of the product development pieces, there's so much opportunity to learn and so much freedom to try things out, not restriction at all. Nice. Yeah. Cause that's the one thing I think about sometimes as an entrepreneur and like founder, it's like, if I went and worked for like a, a company, would I, would, would I feel restricted? And at the same time, I feel like half the companies maybe, but the other half, not so much. Cause a lot of these leaders I talk to, it's their exhibiting all the behaviors and traits of a founder and they're just a, a C-level role, you know, and they're managing right. their own PNL and they're generating revenue and they have costs. Right. Like, it's like, Oh, that's actually pr pretty cool. There's this whole other level of business that I'm now being exposed to. Absolutely. I think in everything that you do, there are different kinds of constraints, right? It's those, the constraints that you can work with or constraints you can't work with. And I think that's what a lot of these decision-making, what should I do comes in. So far for me, granted, it's, uh, from whatever I can see from people that are working with, um, that's not it is not an issue at all. Yeah, there's definitely so many different paths to success, right? Like you can 
found the company and grow it slowly so that you have enough money to have really great people. And then you're working around like really great people as you're growing, or you can just go jump right on in and do a great team and be around a bunch yeah. of great people without having to pay that salary, <laughs> you know, come up with the money. And, Absolutely. and I, I don't think there's a wrong way or a right way to do it. I think uh, as long as you're persistent, you'll overcome and achieve and have some, some level of success. Yeah, so true. So how do you look at success in your personal life? The, like you said, definition of success is fairly personal. And um, for me, there are, it's, it's always tied around two things. is A, am I working with the people that I can learn from? And um, B, the area that I am working in, what kind of impact I'm ha having in that space and how much transformation I can use. Because even back uh, when I started in um, college, the projects that we would work on, it was transformational for the uh, the companies because technology, especially the software technology, was just starting to show up in India at that time. So since then, this impact and transformation has been very crucial for my choices when I go and choose the next thing to do. And like I said, people and that and the impact, those are kind of the two things that I look at from as my parameters to define success. Do you think your early business background with your father set you up uh, for some interesting perspective to to grow as an executive? Absolutely. I think that was very, very helpful because, A, from him, I saw how he was thinking ahead. That's something that I picked up in terms of where the technology. I still remember he used to pester me about, hey, I just need to talk to the computer. Why do I have to go through? And, and at that time, speech recognition transformation was not there to the level where he was comfortable with so definitely that particular aspect i think the second aspect like you pointed out from a business piece to me what it helps me right now is that all the technical solutions whether they are uh, cutting edge whether they are mundane operational automation all the work that we do around technology is always oriented towards business goals how do you keep people focused on the business outcomes in different companies there are different things to do I think in a startup, I would say it's a little bit easier because everybody joins a startup understanding the mission and aligned towards that mission. And um, that's that's the goal. They want, they're joining the company that is growing and how big the company is growing is very important for them. It's also very important for them where the business is coming from because if there's, again, like I, when I hire people, I hire people who have a lot of curiosity, right? So I want them to ask like, all those questions. I, I mentor them from hey, you're working on this thing. Do you know what the business impact is? And if they don't, then I will go ahead and walk them through it because it's extremely important for me. And what I've seen is that engineers are very, very um, focused and very motivated by the impact. And yes, a lot of engineers, uh, some engineers want to work purely on technical challenges. Some engineers want to work on other things. But in the end, um, they are very motivated by business impact. What other tips do you have for hiring? You said, all right, so curiosity, understanding business impact. What what else do you look for when hiring? There are a few things, like one of the questions I ask is like, I ask them what app do they um, use the most? And they'll tell me, hey, I use this app for this specific activity. I say, okay, name me, give me one feature that you love about it. And they'll say, hey, this is what I love about it. And I'll say, okay, give me one feature that you would, one feature that you would add or change. And a lot of people get stumped by the second question because when you use something every day, you don't think about change. Um, you just revert with it. And to me, that's another important part of the, the, the behavior, the traits the person has is because I firmly believe is um, change is constant and things that have been done in the past and they are working can always be optimized as new technologies coming. So I want that thinking always in the head of the engineer. So to me, few of those things, like you said, impact, curiosity, really understanding what they're doing and understanding the concept so that they can know what to change, big picture, uh, what's the vision, what drrives them. And then I also the kind of speaks to the curiosity. I always ask them, what else do they do outside work that helps that drives their passion? Because passionate passion is is extremely important in day-to-day -day job for me uh, in my team. And I, that's that's I'm these are some of my tricks and tools to kind of suss out the passion. So what do you do outside of work? How do you refill your passion? There's a joke in my house. Uh, some of my close friends joke about me that if any new device comes out that's connected to the internet, Rohit will have it. 
So whether it's a piece of, whether it's t-shirt or socks or cameras or, um, so I'm an early adopter and I look at those things and I connect them together, work with my kids. When they were younger, they were very fascinated by robotics. So I have like three, four generations of uh, Lego Mindstrom. So a lot of those things around tinkering and kind of connecting in these things is uh, really the power of the internet and all of these devices um, is something that I do in my uh, free time. That's pretty cool. My um, my little ones are really into the Lego blocks right now. So I'm enjoying it. She's building me like she'll build me a structure and I'll be blown away like when she goes from just like a basic stack to like making it a 3D structure. And she's like, oh, here's a dinosaur. Nice. And it kind of looks like a dinosaur. I was like, oh, this is so great that you're smarter than me. I'm very happy about this because I was not that advanced yeah. at your age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of uh, yeah, kids have access to things, at least for me, that I did not have access to growing up. And because it wasn't there, right? I mean, Lego was there definitely, but just amazing. Like one of my uh, nephews uh, uses Mindstrom. Uh, it's a block style programming language. And so it's just about drag and drop. And his six-year-old uh, can make small things happen. But the excitement that you see in writing something and making a physical thing move is just amazing. It was the thing that hooked me about computers. I mean, not making the physical thing move, that's like a whole other level, but just making the right. computer respond with some output, that's what uh, that's what caught my attention. Yeah, I mean, that was my fascination which, uh, as well. The um, Android, I think it's Android has this like kid tablet, kid operating system. So you can like lock it up and, and they can only access kid stuff. So it's really safe. And we give that to my daughter man, the amount of stuff she learns and she'll just tell us something like some interesting fact or what, whatnot. And I'll be like, where'd you learn that? And she'll be like, uh, either school or the tablet. And I'll, I'll yeah. be going. so I go in to tuck her in the other night and, uh, she's watching this video and it's like these little cartoon characters explaining how atoms work. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, she's interested in this. She's sitting there watching it for like 20 minutes about how atoms work. Yep. I was like, you're four years old. This is crazy. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. It, uh, just one funny story to share. There used to be a, a maker fair in the Bay Area in San Mateo. And I've been going there for uh, since I think it was uh, a pretty small fair, like a long, long time ago. And my kids used to go there about two years, when they were two years old or three years old. So when they reached five years, six years of age, we came across a place that they had apparel and then they had magnetic threads uh, and electric uh, threads then could be connected through a computer and be made to pro and you could program them like little bulbs that all goes in the apparel. So I watched my kids really fascinated by that. And then coming home, we ended up buying those kids coming home and just creating crazy patterns on their sweaters. It was just amazing to see. <sighs> That's fascinating. Have you, you're out there in uh, the California area. That's where they film BattleBots. Have you ever seen BattleBots? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever watch that with your kids? Yeah. Um, kids, my kids love, uh, used to love robotics, but not fighting with each other. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. How, how old are they now? I have a, a sophomore in college and a sophomore in high school. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Mine are very small. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just at the beginning of this race, my friend. Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I think right now they are probably going to just shrug it off. And it's like who cares? Do you have any tips for like how to be? You sound like you've been you know successful professionally and, and really interested in the work that you do, and you've raised these kids as well. Do you have any tips for for how to be a good executive but also be a great parent at the same time? That's an interesting uh, question. When you look for people to grow, right? So I also spend a lot of time mentoring people. Um, one of the things that I say is that when I work with engineers, it's I'm, one of my uh, strengths is that I'm able to understand what's motivation for them, what motivates them. And I know uh, I'm going to use this word again, but it's a lot of it is around curiosity, right? So you need to, especially with kids, you have to make them curious so they can ask all kinds of questions, right? As you know, like probably uh, uh, in your uh, experience as well, right? There's a phase when the kid will ask 6,000 questions a day right, about everything. So to me, that's that's just fascinating. And be able to answer that and point that and encourage that kind of behavior to question everything. As an executive, to me, that's the same concept I apply with as I'm growing my team. 
not the concept about treating them like kids, but more about ask question the norm. Because without questioning the norm, we can't change. And you want that thought process for everybody to be there. So for me, that's like one of the things that I can say as an executive and as an parent, there's a common thread. Ask questions. Question the norm. Always ask, why are we doing this? And there's always needs to be answered, like, here are the reasons why we are doing this. And it can't be just because. Or this is what we have always done. And it does not mean that every day you ask the question for the same thing. But when you come across something, you ask the question. If you're satisfied with the answer, you move on to the next thing. So it's always about, to me, is like the curiosity aspects. Let's understand why these things are. And when you look outside around the things that are changing, like if you look at Ipsy, if you look at BFA, these are the kinds of things that have helped the company grow. I mean, why did we launch the refreshments business? It's a personal care business. Again, the same concept of why, what's, what's the purpose behind Ipsy? Well, it's about people. It's about community. Well, then in order to do the community, let's, let's make sure that we have products that are broader committed needs. So to me, those are kinds of the things that always ties uh, back into either exec or parenting. I like that. That's good advice, my friend. Thanks. What's the app that you use the most? <laughs> it has changed for me um, during um, quarantine. What's happened is that both of my kids decided not to do, uh, even when the schools were open, not to do uh, in-person classes. So my daughter, who's in college, she came home and she's been with us. And my uh, daughter who goes to school, she's been with us as well. So what we have discovered is uh, our likes for cooking. I mean, we haven't really cooked together as a family that much. And so now different things that we are trying, and especially when you're not ordering too much from outside, you have to cook interesting things as well. So we've gone into so much so much that now in the morning, I'll send out a recipe that I want to make tonight, or one of my kids will send it out. We'll have a debate over it, and then we'll agree to make it. Then during the time, uh, I, the day, as they, everybody gets time between meetings and eat a break, we'll do some, some prep and, and then around 5.30, we'll start cooking. So what has happened there is that most of my time now is on, on grocery delivery apps because I'm always looking to get the right groceries uh, for the recipes that we want to make. So that's the, those are the apps I like the most right now because not only because I use them the most, but that gets me to get this activity that I do with my kids uh, a lot. So Instacart, Amazon's Whole Foods, and there's local Indian uh, delivery apps around those particular pieces uh, as well. We went through a whole thing about meal kit delivery. So all of those, that's the genre, that's kind of the category. And that's that's what, uh, for me, is the app that I use the most and like the most. What's one feature you love? The, um, the aspect in some apps... Um, the suggestions and like, for example, the part that I love the most, you know, most of the apps is at least remembering my history of what I had ordered so that I can go back and see instead of trying to maintain shopping lists and things about brands I like and things, I can just go back and click, click, click and say, this is what I want. Because uh, one of my kids, uh, the older one, researches a lot about the ingredients and things. And so we can get focused on a few different, pro- few different products in the category. So just having it there and seeing when I had bought it, especially Amazon does that really well. Yeah, that actually is one of my favorite features of the Amazon app. What's something you would add or change? The um, the accuracy of the inventory. The When you order something, you are expecting to make something tonight or tomorrow from that. And it shows up the app, you add, you place the order, and the delivery comes in, it's not there because it was out of inventory. It's a hard problem. I mean, I was at Walmart for a long time, so I know it's a really hard problem. But for me, it's very frustrating to not get what you ordered and having to adjust to it. And uh, But not knowing if it is not there. A more real-time aspect of inventory is what I think I would love the most out of these apps. Yeah, you know what? That's something we've experienced too, where... It's like, it's letting us put it into the cart, right? We we use a local app for one of the grocery store chains here, right? And it lets us put it into the app and then it, they just tell you it's not there when you sh- when they show up with your order. And it's like, well, yeah. that's not helpful. <laughs> How come they can't connect that real-time inventory? Why is that a problem? Yeah, I, that would be a fascinating thing to fix. Do you know why it's a problem? It's, the, um, it's basically what you said, real-time, right? The number of orders being placed, the count of the inventory, integration of the inventory, because you order, you put it in the cart, when should I reserve it? 
sequential and art. So there's a, it's, it's a, it's a very complex, um, system to be able to really show the right amount of inventory. It's, it's not a, it's a non-trivial problem to solve. I agree. Oh, I definitely agree. I was just thinking that all the different ways you could solve it, right? Like cameras, Absolutely. right? Camera inventory and object recognition. You could see if it's just on yeah. the shelf, just look at it, right? Um, yeah. You could RFID tag every piece of inventory. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, for even for us, uh, where we don't have stores, inventory is a complex problem because you have different programs, you have different brands. And then when subscription add-ons open, you, do, you are looking at the demand that you have forecasted. Somebody shares it on social media and suddenly that product is viral and everybody's buying it. So all of those patterns makes it really hard to make sure to have an accurate representation of the inventory. But it's an interesting and a fascinating problem to solve. Yeah, do you own your own warehouses or do you use like a third-party logistic company to do the packing? How do you do that? So currently we use third-party logistics companies. Uh, for managing our orders and inventory and uh, receiving the products and base and delivering the products as well. Yeah. So do you get to work with them on the technology? How do you get, how do you interface with them? Did you have to build custom software or how did that go? Absolutely. So we have a supply chain organization that works very closely with them in terms of technologies that goes inside the warehouse um, from the integration into overall technology systems, to your point about what the inventory states are, where the order is, that's an integration that sometimes that is custom built for every 3PL uh, third-party logistics company that we work with. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, because you have to understand the when you place a purchase order, you have to match what the systems received to the orders that you have placed so that you know that you have received what you ordered. And then as multiple programs happen, you have to communicate them to the, to the third-party logistics so they know exactly who to ship and how much to ship. So it's a, it's not a, it, it, is a, it gets really interesting also because, again, the same problem the stores have, we also have in terms of accuracy of inventory. So every company, every retailer, this is one of the most fascinating places uh, in the retail space. When you do your orders, does... Like all the, like, if you have a box that you're going to ship out, like these makeup boxes, right? Do they all like batch at the same time or is everybody on their own schedule? How does that work? We batch it within a period of time frame because we open it to our customers on the same day for customizations. Like we have ultra personalization, the GBX product where you can go and customize uh, all of the, all your um, products in your bag. We have different tiers in terms of how many products you can customize both an Ipsy side as well as on BoxyCharm side. So that, that makes it complicated because if we already know what you're going to get, it's very simple to box it. But because we offer it in a certain period of time, there are a certain range of expectations when the customers will receive it. So yes, there's a flurry of activity, but to scale it out and make sure that we can handle it, we obviously batch it out over a specific period of time every month. What's the hardest part about all of this, this running this business? The hardest uh, hard from the technology aspect is, is that Mostly for me, like where I really want us to be, where my team wants us to be, and as they work hard to delivering what the expectation is, how do we build things that allows the business to move quickly, right? Like we launched uh, over the quarantine period, made the decision to launch refreshments, and we launched refreshments in December, right? How do we enable and create capabilities that allows the business to run experiments because a lot of things you have to try out to really understand how the customer what is a customer wanting right and uh, there is no way to predict uh, viral aspect of it things sometimes things go viral but how can i build things that if they do we can support it so that's that's the um, that's the the challenging pieces is really understanding that and being able to build that capability for at least for me right now that's that is that most challenging piece on the technology side that's really interesting. It does sound like a problem, right? Something explodes and they're invent what so tell me what happens. Let's say I've got a product that goes viral. Let's say it's a lipstick for if it's is lipstick something that could be in there? Absolutely. Fun. Yeah. Okay. So let's say it's a lipstick, right? And you have two thousand units. I'm just making this up. You have two thousand units of this lipstick. And you have it goes viral and you need forty thousand units of this lipstick, but you're not the manufacturer of that specific lip, lipstick. 
do you process the orders? Do they go out of stock? Do you oversell and go, like, how do you connect all of those parties? So you have to go ask the source people if they have enough, but like, how do you manage all of that with the technology? That That is the interesting piece that we are uh, constantly looking to solve, right? So there are multiple things that go in. In some aspects, taking this lipstick as an example, could we have done better at forecasting the demand, right? It starts because we have customer data. We have uh, our machine learning team builds a lot of models around this. So how can we help forecast some of these things? Yes, we can't predict um, the viral aspect of it. And so there's a lot of work that we can do moving there to really get to that level of forecasting. And see, second, like you pointed out, once we receive the demand, how quickly can we source it from our suppliers. It's not just a technology problem, but technology can assist in terms of building and removing the friction. But then again, it's it's a relationship. It's it's all the other things that are working through. Then from a customer's perspective, I mean, it's, it's also about the fact that if it is really going out of stock, uh, I mean, it's selling that much, stopping the sale and setting the expectation, right? It could come in the next bag. It could come in the next time or it'll be available for e-commerce shopping later down the road because you don't want the customer to buy and then you could disappoint them. But they didn't get it. It goes back to my earlier grocery app concept, right? I, I ordered something, I was expecting it, but now I don't have it. So different strategies uh, for different kinds of products and different brands. But in the end, focus is always that uh, not disappoint the customer. I like that. You sound like an interesting, you sound very challenge driven. That's the fascination aspect of technology, right? I mean, big problems to solve, really applying technology. And as technology changes, how do you catch up with it, right? Can we make better packaging for our products? We have done a lot of work around sustainability. How can we put, uh, what's the accuracy of the information we have so we can have the optimal packing for the bag? So a lot of these things are very fascinating. And to me, like since my career beginning, if, uh, whether it was uh, fortunate or not, but I started my career by solving business problems and applying technology to it. And that's kind of how uh, my brain is tuned. So. That's why some of these problems are very fascinating for me. When people ask you what what motivates you, is this what it is? This problem solving, or is it something else? It is uh, problem solving. It's the uh, it's really working and understanding the problem, the process aspect of it, and then figuring out how technology can solve it, improve it, make it efficient. Because not every problem can be solved on day one. Sometimes you have to just keep on improving it before you reach the solution that now you understand it enough or you've tried things and now you can solve it. I got a couple of leadership questions for you, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You sound like a great leader. So I'm like, <laughs> when I find great people, I was like, all right, I got to ask them some of the leadership questions to help out. You know, a lot of the next generation of leaders are listening to this as well to figure out like how, how people think and, and how they behave so that they can replicate these behaviors, right? And that's trying to help out the, help out the world here. So I'm curious to know, and like, what's the, what's the most impactful leadership lesson that you've ever learned? For me, um, as I've go, grown and evolved at different levels of roles, right? The, the biggest, uh, the thing that I've learned, which has worked out really well for me is that, um, I don't know if, if it qualifies as a leadership lesson, but assume positive intent. So when you work with people, people say things, let's say I'm working with somebody in my team, I need this stuff done by this time. The person's like, well, it can't be done. Now, as a leader, I can say, like, what the heck? I already told you I need it done by this week. What do you mean it can't be done? Right. Or I can say, assuming positive intent that this person is really in the company to grow the company and provide 100%. I will sit down and say, okay, what is that you're looking at? And really working through with assuming the positive intent, figuring out the problem and solution. And sometimes it is, yes, it really cannot be done. So we go back and work through it. And that's, that thought process change from my side has helped me a lot in understanding the people that I work with, whether if they are part of the organization or if they are um, my peers or other collaborators. That's the second time I've heard that. And I love it. I love it because the first time I heard it, I was like, this is the, the best advice ever. And I hadn't heard anyone else say it. So I'm so glad that you brought this up and reminded me of this again, because we need to hear this now more than ever, especially since most of our communication now is so remote, right? So you lack yep. some of that that social credit of the human interaction. Yeah, absolutely. And especially during this time and stress levels and people have various things going in their lives. Um, so, yeah. What are you learning like right now as a leader? 
different things. This, uh, I know it's uh, maybe a little cliched, but these are interesting times and lots of things have changed, right? Um, in lots of ways, like when we used to do meetings from home, right? It, I will get uh, anxious about if my kid is crying in the background. Now we have Zoom meetings where we encourage people to get their kids, they show up, they say hi. Um, or if, if if the kid is crying, to just leave the meeting, go take care of the kid. A lot of that environment has changed. And the that's the part if, is like, how do you balance your, the, the, the probable work-life balance, right? So one of the things that we've talked about is like a lot of people have different ways and they mark their days, right? So for me, I spoke about cooking. So 5.30 is like cut off because I don't want to sacrifice that time because I know when the world opens, the kids are going to go back to college and I'm not going to have that time. So really understanding these aspects of uh, people, this is a lot of learning on how different people manage different kinds of situations. And it's not just work from home or work remote. Everybody's impact on work from home and work remote is very different. And really how people are handling that and giving them the space to handle, there's a lot of those lessons. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm learning around that particular aspect. And it's amazing to see how people manage these things, right? They may have little kids at home. They may have grown-up kids at home. They have other kinds of expectations and, and things that are going on. So that's that's been the biggest learning for me in the last 12, 18 months. Nice. That's good. Yeah, we actually had to cancel a podcast once because... The person's kids were all doing their online classes and they didn't have enough bandwidth going on. <laughs> so we just moved it to another day. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's why I have given instructions to everybody. Just use video right now. Uh, only if it's essential. If it's not, just turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> what, what sort of leaders inspire you? What type of books are you reading? Who do you follow online? How do you, how do you recharge yourself as a leader? Uh, I've always been a fan of Bill Gates. Um, so go through the list of books that he publishes, uh, because the thing that's fascinating, it's just the range and the broad range of books that he reads. I saw that Netflix series inside uh, Bill Gates' mind, and then you see him walking around with like a tote bag full of books. That just blew my mind. I don't do that kind of reading, but always uh, have his list. Uh, and it, for me, he's been one of the um, inspirations right from when I started my my career so really focused on that particular aspect the second is like i said uh, the second section i would say is i read a lot about philosophies and things that impact people like how how do people take how do they work what's important for them how do i learn all of those things because that's that's that something i need in my day job and not just day job it helps me build relationships with my kids with other people as well and so that's the uh those, I would say, are the books that I, category books that I read. Yeah, I've found a lot of the TED Talks on like psychology or human behavior. Right. Just kind of watching them, taking a look at them, seeing the perspective. It's it's interesting because I do a lot of technology stuff, right? Like I interview a lot of people about technology. But to go over there and see this whole different uh, discipline of like psychology and all they do is study human behavior all day. Uh, that to me was just fascinating. They have their own language frameworks and everything. And it's, right. it's really quite fascinating. Yeah. I mean, and then you tie that into uh, retail experiences, you dive into shopping experiences, and then you start realizing how much of some of the experiences you can correlate to something. At least for me, I can correlate to something in psychology I read. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that thinking went into that. And it's like, so it's yeah so that definitely starts to open up your mind in terms of what the possibilities are and how things are i think how much thought has gone through and some simple simple things yeah and it's simple too you were talking earlier a couple different leadership principles that you mentioned about being curious and uh, business outcomes and things of that nature they are pretty simple it's just doing them consistently over a long period of time that's that's the difficult part <laughs> absolutely yeah. so what's one piece of advice for let's say an engineer that's looking to take on more management responsibilities. That's uh, the reason I'm smiling is that I, I have a very um, different way of thinking about that. And so in my previous organizations, when an engineer wants to become a manager, um, I spent about 45 minutes convincing them not to do it. And uh, <laughs> then I asked them to go back, give a week and think about it then come back and see if they still want to do it. And if they come back and say, yes, I still want to do it, but then I would 
support the transition and give them the assurance that, hey, in six months, we didn't like it. It's okay. We can, you can come back and, and be a regular engineer. I mean, we are investing you as a, uh, we're investing you because that's what we do with the, with our employees. And the reason I, uh, I do that is you have to be very clear why you want to get into management. Management is, I'm not going to say it's harder, it's different, right? So in my organizations, you never get promoted to a manager as an individual contributor. You always, it's a lateral move. It's not, there's no concept of management being a promotion path. It's mostly a change of function. So the, that's, that's part number one. Part number two is, uh, why do I spend the time making sure that they really want management? Because of the reasons people want. I want control. I want to be able to set a direction. Okay. These are the most common phrases that I hear. I want to be able to allocate resources because I want to be able to, I know exactly how things are done and my manager is not listening to it and I know I can do it better. And so, what they don't realize is the first line of management is the hardest because you really have no control. And during the transition path, you're so used to doing things by yourself and getting it done by, by yourself. But then getting it done through a team is a very, very different skill set. And it's not that you can't learn and be trained into it. And that's the investment that they have to do. And a lot of people who jump into management don't understand. My uh, career growth, I have been into management uh, have, as a one-person entrepreneur running a company. I was part, you know, next to my company, I was one of the six, seven peers who ran the company and found the company. And then I ran the company by, uh, for about um, four more years. I came into here, worked as an individual contributor, then went into management and decided to switch back into individual contributors. So I have done, done these ups and downs and changes. And I just want to make sure that people understand what it is. It's a lot of program management, resource allocation, absolutely technical direction. But it's also about managing expectations from your team as well as the, the leadership above you. And that's something that people have to understand in addition to people skills, right? Because as a manager, my success is extremely dependent on my team and how well they do what is expected from them or what is set for them. And also what I can learn from them is where my growth comes from, right? If everybody follows what I say, then collectively we are going to be as good as I am, which is not necessarily a good place to be because there are so many people in the organization. So how do you grow that into be a collective being? How do you listen to people, encourage them with this free thought process? And like I said in the earlier, at the beginning, how do you stoke their curiosity and let that flow? So a lot of those things are uh, skills that have to be acquired. So as you transition from an engineer to manager, you have to make sure that you are up for a significant amount of training. It's a different function. And that's, that's for me, that would be the advice that, yes, it can be done. I mean, I did it. And I find the management aspect extremely fulfilling. And, uh, but it's, you have to go through a training exercise. Yeah, it's also very difficult. That's one of the reasons why I liked it. <laughs> you know, I, I like the difficult problems. And then I started managing, you know, engineering teams. And I was like, whoa, this is a whole different world. And I wouldn't, I love the way you put it too, because I wouldn't say it was like harder. It was equal. They're both maximum hard. It's just, you're doing something different. Yes. Uh, they appeal to a different part of your brain. They appeal to a different skill set. So absolutely. So I want to be respectful of your time because uh, we've got only three minutes left here, but man, we did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? Um, pretty good. Um, yeah. It, uh, in my mind, it went better than I thought I would do. So I think that's mostly your skill set, Joe. So really appreciate that. And thanks for, uh, um, yeah, thanks for inviting me as well. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.